2: Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast.
0: Mr. Sajjan is in the news as well. Global News is reporting, and here's the headline. Sajjan refuses to say whether he knew 2018 Vance complaint was sexual in nature. Let me just read a few lines. From the Global News story that is moving now, Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan refused to say whether he was aware of the sexual nature of the misconduct allegation against General Jonathan Vance was brought to his attention in 2018. Despite being asked five separate times whether he was aware of the sexual nature of the allegation, Sajjan refused to give a clear yes or no. Quote, I don't have much details on that, and quote, Sajjan said during the interview with the West Bloc's Mercedes Stevenson on Global Television. Global News first reported in February, that an allegation of inappropriate behavior by Vance was reported to then-Military Ombudsman Gary Walborn in 2018. At the time, the Prime Minister's office said the Defense Minister's office, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, and Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan were all made aware of the claim. However, Walborn says he brought evidence of the allegation directly to Sajjan's office, where the Defense Minister refused to see it. Quote, Yes, I did directly tell him about an allegation of inappropriate behavior against the chief of defense staff, end quote, said Walborn to the defense committee in early March. Another quote, I did tell the minister what the allegation was. He reached into my pocket. I reached into my pocket to show him the evidence I was holding. He pushed back from the table and said no. Two weeks later, Sajjan told the defense committee that he refused to hear the details and had his staff refer the matter to bureaucrats who promptly abandoned a probe when the then-military ombudsman refused to share information the complainant had asked to be kept confidential. Quote again, Walborn did not give me any details. I did not allow him to give me any details. I very purposely respected the investigative process to ensure it remains independent, end quote, Sajjan said. Despite MPs pointing out, there was no formal investigation underway at the time. You say the investigation's not started, I disagree. So here's how this ends. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has also argued that nobody knew the complaint was sexual in nature. Here's a quote from Mr. Trudeau. Nobody knew that it was a Me Too complaint. We did not have information on what the nature of the complaint was of that allegation. However, documents obtained by Global News under access to information laws showed that on the same day his office asked bureaucrats to open a probe, bureaucrats had been informed the allegation was about, quote, sexual harassment, end quote, and were referring to it as such in emails. James Bazan is the Conservative Party of Canada defense critic. Mr. Bazan, welcome back to the show. So the defense minister wouldn't answer yes, wouldn't answer no. What do you say?
3: It's disappointing that uh, Mr. Sajan continues to, to dance around this issue when the world knows that he was told this was a complaint of sexual nature. In fact, he was offered the evidence but from Gary Walburn, our former uh, defense ombudsman, and Minister Sajin pushed it away. And we also know that he told Zita Estravis who was his chief of staff at the time, who then told Katie Telford, who is the chief of staff, to uh Prime Minister Stephen or Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. and Katie then asked her staff, Elder Marquis, who was at committee uh, just over a week ago, who talked about this being sexual harassment. All the communication between the Prime Minister's office and the Privy Council office all referred to Jonathan Vance's allegations as being sexual harassment. So for the Liberals to say anything else is a lie.
0: So the defense minister, to quote you, uh, when he refused to say whether he was aware of sexual nature of the misconduct allegation against uh, General Vance that was brought to his attention in 2018, again, despite being asked five separate times whether he was aware of the sexual nature of the allegation, Sajjan refused to give a clear yes or no, quote, I didn't have much details on that, end quote. You're saying he's lying. He was told what uh,
3: that there was an email. He was told that it was sexual harassment. He uh, is is trying to cover up the fact that he didn't take the appropriate action, which was to take on that evidence and then deal with it properly, start an investigation, which has the Minister of National Defence. he can do. He could turn that over to the Canadian Forces National Investigative Service. He could have turned it over to a board of inquiry. He could have gave it to outside sources, such as the RCMP, but instead they have been covering this up for three years And this story broke three months today, Roy, and here we are still dealing with them trying to cover up what they did and didn't do.
0: Okay, I want to go back to what you said a minute ago, because this story is developing today. When Mr. Sajin, the defense minister, told Mercedes Stevenson, quote, I didn't have much details on that, end quote, after he was asked five separate times whether he was aware of the sexual nature of the allegation and not refusing to give a clear yes or no. I want to go back to what you said. You're saying he lied.
3: Yes, and, you know, when I was watching that interview this morning and to hear him say that it doesn't matter what the allegations were, he, again, was minimizing what uh, General Vance had done. He is, again, minimizing the impact on the women uh, of, in the Canadian Armed Forces who have faced this type of sexual harassment, and you know the the women and men who serve in uniform deserve so much better. And to have them here, their minister continue to skate around this issue speaks to a larger problem. Especially when you got uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. Okay, I don't, I don't want to beat you. I don't want to beat you. I don't want to beat
0: you over the head, confidence. Mr. Bazan, But I want a straight answer from you. Are you saying unequivocally that the defense minister lied today? Yes. Okay. He, he
3: knows it was it was a, it was a claim of sexual harassment.
0: All right. Tell us, please, how things have been going at the defense committee hearings over the last week plus.
3: Well, we have been engaged in uh, numerous filibusters by the Liberals. Uh, liberal members on that committee uh, refused to call uh, Katie Telford. They refused to call ZDS Stravis. They filibustered for two days to have Elder Marquez show up who, as a private citizen now, uh, even though he was a former um, prime minister advisor. Uh, he, he did appear, um, but they have spent so much time Uh, trying to kill the clock and prevent us from voting on motions to call legitimate witnesses who know what happened um, with these allegations back in March of 2018. And that waste of time, again, just proves, especially on the Katie Telford motion that we're debating right now, is that they would rather protect Katie Telford than the women and
0: men who serve in uniform. What are the questions that you want to put to Ms. Telford? It's pretty... Simple, actually. It's uh, what was she
3: told by Zita Estravis? What did she do with that information, aside from giving it to Elda Marquez? And Mar- Elda Marquez also said that Katie Telford's assistant was in the loop uh, of knowing what happened. And why didn't she report this to the Prime Minister? If we are to believe Justin Trudeau said he didn't know it was a, quote, me too moment. So uh, since this wasn't, uh, since if the Prime Minister is is actually being honest here, then, you know, why didn't she tell them? And then ultimately, if she didn't tell them, didn't she fail then in her job to keep the prime minister briefed on what's happening with uh, the Canadian Armed Forces, especially when it involves
0: the chief of defense staff who has the highest security clearance in the land? So if I understand you correctly, Mr. Bazan, and I think I do, you're saying that they, the Liberals, the prime minister and the Liberal Party, are systemically lying about this situation, yes. No, isn't that characteristic of a cover-up? They aren't going to be telling the truth. Well, I'm asking you. you yeah, no, am Are I, you, I, tell, I'm are you telling me they're lying?
3: Yeah, they're, they're lying outright here, and it's it it is all part of a cover-up that started three years ago and has gone into to, to high gear
0: uh, since this story broke uh, three months ago today. Would you say then that the inquiry that the prime minister and the defense minister announced by? An esteemed supreme court justice louise arbour uh, are you saying that they have just put that in in play as a deflection deflection deflection
3: it, it d- does two things it, one is it, it is a deflection and secondly is that it it, it kicks th- any decisions that they have to make to after the next election and you know it it, it is a, a great disappointment that they would try to reinvent the wheel instead of looking at the Justice Deschamps report that was done almost six years ago. And during their entire tenure, they have failed to act upon one single recommendation that Madame Deschamps made when they went through this process uh, back in 2015. And now they're again trying to change the channel, then actually getting down to the basis of what needs to happen. And, and you know, for, for those that serve in uniform, they don't want any more reports, they want results. Canadians want results, and it is so disappointing to see uh, the Liberals play
0: games rather than address the issue. Janet Merlo is a former RCMP officer. She has been on this program many times over the years. And Janet was one of the female officers, and uh, civilian employees were also uh, sexually harassed and assaulted within uh, the RCMP for years. And uh, Janet led the uh, move for the $100 million class action lawsuit, which was settled by the government, and there was a major press conference. I think it was three or four years ago. It could have been longer now. And uh, Janet's book is No One to Tell, Breaking My Silence on Life in the RCMP. Is anything that's going on, as you watch, hear, and read about the current investigation into sexual misconduct in the CAF? Does it sound all too familiar to you?
4: It's far too familiar and, and far more hurtful to know that they already know all the steps they need to take to to deal with these issues in, in both agencies of the government, yet they want to write another report. It just breaks my heart.
0: And this is what happened to you and the other women in the RCMP, whether it was officers in uniform or civilian employees, you were successively and for years your arguments your case your complaints were essentially swept under the rug and dismissed
4: yes and they still are they still are there's still no what we've been begging for years for which is what the military has begged for as well is independent oversight and until that gets put into place this is what is going to happen over and over and over they're going to kick the can down the road till the next election goes by and then it's someone else's problem and and i wonder how i wonder how almost 600 reports of sexual harassment and sexual abuse in the last 5 years how that would pan out in corporate canada it seems to be okay for the government to, to let this happen over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, and, and you know of women in the Canadian Armed Forces. You know also of women who are in other um, professions that are public and are essentially dominated uh, by a male presence. You know of other women who've also faced that, the sexual misconduct, se- sexual harassment, and sexual assault correct?
4: Yes, yes, yeah.
0: Janet, remind us of what was going on. What, what what happened to you as much as you can?
4: Well, I think it's, for me, it started in the RCMP very early when when I um, became pregnant. I got married and became pregnant and just the brutal reaction they had to that and so much so that I never, we never had our second child for five years because we wanted to wait till the powers that be in in management in the Nanaimo RCMP moved on because I didn't have the heart to go in and tell them again that I was pregnant after what they'd said to me the first time, and just the the ongoing daily harassment issues got got so much to bear that I, I just. I started calling in sick, I started getting physically sick before I went in before I went into my shift every day, I'd go into the office and in the back door, into the change room and I would throw up at my body's physical reaction to going to work and I'd have to get myself together and get changed before my shift and and that was it was like that for a long, long time.
0: So when the government announced to great fanfare that they had uh, come to a $100 million settlement and this was all going to change and it was never going to happen again and women would be respectfully treated within the RCMP. Did you feel that that was actually going to happen or did you have your doubts at that time?
4: You know, I, I thought when they saw the amount of women coming forward that it would the light bulb would finally go on and they would think, wow, this is not just a few disgruntled employees this is a major systemic problem and men and women have gone through hell in the RCMP and I I really thought maybe just my my personality I like to think I'm I'm the the best side (laughs) so I really had faith that something would change and and nothing has. And when when they appointed Commissioner Lucky, I thought, you know, give her a couple of years to get into her role and know mm-hmm. her job, and she will make a change, and nothing has happened. Okay. And if if her hands are tied by her superiors, then she needs to speak out about that.
0: Yes. She sure. needs to
4: stand up. Let's
0: talk about a, another report. It's a piece of legislation. That is making its way through Parliament at C10, and uh, it is described by some as a dangerous and inexcusable attack on freedom of expression. Is it a move to violate constitutionally enshrined freedom of expression? David Fraser is one of Canada's leading internet law specialists, partner at McInnes Cooper in Halifax. He's the author of the Canadian Privacy Law Blog. David, thank you for coming on today, and again, apologies for delaying yesterday.
2: No problem. Happy to be here.
0: Why is C ten? This is the question that I see all the time in email. Why is C ten even in the legislative pipeline? Why?
1: Uh, that's that's actually that's a really good question. So we have broadcasting regulation in Canada that's been around for for quite some time. That's rooted in a paradigm, an environment where there were limited <laughs> limited bandwidth, I guess, uh, over the over the airwaves. Uh, and a strong desire on the part of the Canadian government, going back decades, to make sure that there is a vibrant uh, kind of ecosystem of Canadian content, and so that Canadians would receive Canadian stories over these uh, over these airwaves and then through cables. Uh, but we're now in an internet age where we don't have that sort of scarcity, um, and so it does make some sense to make sure that things are things are updated. Um, but in in some ways, C10 kind of came. Uh, Out of the blue, in the sense that the CRTC, which is the main regulator in this area, has said in the past that they have the authority under the Broadcasting Act to regulate what are called over-the-top services, like Netflix and and things like that, but have chosen, I think wisely, not to regulate them, because in fact, when you look at them and their their progress, um, they've in fact not presented any particular problems. And have created and have presented to Canadians a lot of Canadian content, but now we have a government and particularly a minister who seems to be um, focused on kind of going after the quote internet giants unquote. Um, I would imagine that he thinks that there's a lot of uh, a lot of votes to be had from that, and I think that there's also a number of entrenched players in the Canadian kind of broadcasting system that would like to see companies like Netflix and others kind of pay into the big funds that traditional broadcasters have to in order for the creation of of Canadian content. And rather than having what would be kind of a a once-in-a-generation super important, deep-involved conversation involving all the stakeholders to say, look, how do we recast this for the Internet age? How do we recast this for the streaming age? Is this necessary? Instead, the government has kind of jammed through, or Minister Gibault in particular, a a bill that uh, on its face initially was focused on bringing kind of the Netflixes into the broadcasting ecosystem that would require them to be subject to regulation by the CRTC, that would subject them to... Canadian content requirements and paying into this big pool but consistent with their really bad approach to public policy in all things internet concerned they've opened it up so that it in fact puts forward the possibility of regulation of every little bit of audiovisual content that goes through your through the internet to your smartphone to your tablet to your computer that deals with that has the potential to deal with kind of all streaming services like Netflix, for example, and Crave and things like that, but also podcasts, audio books, the little videos that I post to Facebook from time to time, the streams that my church puts up every Sunday so that it can reach members of the congregation who are self-isolating. So a dramatic recasting of it. And then on top of that, uh, in the bill as it was initially presented, it expressly said, and this was an important part of the Charter statement, that it did not apply to user generated content. And that was removed in the past little while. Uh and so the bill as it's going forward and is being supported by the Liberals, the NDP and the bloc, uh, includes the possibility of regulating all that user generated content. And you think really is TikTok, the same as CTV, the same as Rogers Cable, as your kid's silly dance on TikTok required the the amount of regulation and even the possibility of regulation.
0: So it, it the, the big broadcaster, yeah, it, it's it starts to sound uh, complicated and scary at the same time. <laughs> and so the the question then co- becomes for the for the average person, how does this potentially affect me? Where's this going? How could this affect my freedom of expression? I'm just reading a tweet from you. Any limitation on this expression right has to be justified as a reasonable limitation prescribed by law that is consistent with a free and democratic society. I haven't heard any compelling justification, not even close. So the next question, and if I don't ask you, I'll see it in an email, is our freedom of expression, which is constitutionally enshrined in this country with the absence of hate speech, of course, but is our freedom of expression constitutionally enshrined under attack? Uh,
1: it certainly it is. It is implicated. So e- even the regulation of traditional broadcasting implicates freedom of expression, but commercial broadcasting is seen to be given almost put into a slightly separate category when it comes to the ability of government such a forum like
0: a a forum like this
1: well that's right and and, and so for example there are only so many airwaves uh, that you can broadcast on radio in hamilton and so the government kind of regulates what goes over that but we don't have that scarcity here and so you don't have the same compelling reason the same compelling rationale and it's one thing when you're dealing with a, a, a big company and saying, oh look, we want you to—we're going to give you this money to have more Canadian content. But now we're dealing with a situation where there are kind of two sides to this. One is uh, limiting, let's say, the audience that I might have for my user-generated content, and, and anybody else, any of the millions of other Canadians. And then also telling the platforms how they have to present that.
0: Oh, Austra- didn't Australia try th- some over the others? Didn't Australia try that with Facebook?
1: Well, (laughs) Australia, this is another example of of kind of bad public policy. In in a slightly different area, Canada wants to go after uh, kind of extracting some sort of levy from the platforms that amplify Canadian traditional news media and paying that to the traditional news media. And so that would be, for example, I post a link to, uh, let's say, this broadcast on Facebook so that my friends see it or so that my acquaintances see it right uh, facebook would then have to pay a certain amount to chorus radio for that or if i for a global mail article or a national post article or something else like that um so there's almost this kind of tariff that gets attached to users kind of sharing sharing that content same with twitter and and that's not specifically in bill c10 but that's on the agenda for this government Okay. Uh, which is also kind of deeply problematic. And we're about to see something that's going to, they call it their online harms bill, that's relatively undefined, that is essentially going to make a Canadian speech commissioner. Oh, boy. Where online platforms will have to remove within 24 hours so problematic content under kind of penalty of, of punishment.
0: So this is something we need to all pay attention to.
4: Oh,
1: absolutely, yeah. yeah. The, this government's track record, and, and you know, frankly, I'm, um, I'm, I'm surprised to see it go so sideways, but this government's track record when it comes to kind of everything online related has been just a disaster, very poorly conceived without regard to the constitutional guardrails, and it seems to be fed by some sort of pandering towards people who think, oh, well, let's just go after these big Internet giants without realizing that, you know, frankly, Internet giants are the platforms that I use and you use to consume content and are also the platforms that we also use to disseminate.
0: Well, we will will all pay very close attention. I've had uh, quite a a number of emails asking uh, for information on this particular piece of legislation that's making its way through the parliamentary process, and I could think of no one better to speak to about it than you. Post Encounters of the Third Kind. And uh, most of you have seen the movie. I sat through it twice at the theater when it first came out. And uh, I did actually speak with Alan Hynek, who was in charge of Project Blue Book for the U.S. Air Force. Uh, Professor Hynek talked to me after this movie came out. And I said to him at the time, Professor Hynek, how close to the truth could that particular movie be? And he said to me, Mr. Green, a lot closer than you might Imagine. That was quite some time ago. Now the Pentagon is confirming that pyramid-shaped UFOs captured on U.S. fighter jets' cameras are in fact there. What are they? Who knows? Uh, I don't. But University of Nottingham astrophysicists have suggested that 36 alien civilizations may exist in our galaxy, galaxy, whatever that word is. I get excited when I think about this stuff. Chris Rutkowski joins us, Winnipeg-based science writer who has written extensively on UFOs and related subjects. Mr. Rutkowski has degrees in science and education among his books, The Canadian UFO Report. And there is a news story here, uh, Global News. Aliens are coming. Alberta RCMP and 911 dispatchers fielding calls about UFO sightings. And that was last night. Chris, thanks for coming to the program. Can you put this all together for us, please?
2: Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> There's certainly a lot to digest and put together. Um No question. I knew uh, Alan Hynek uh, quite well as well, and uh, in fact, he was one of my mentors. And uh, the possibility of life being out there is certainly very strong. Most astronomers uh, that I know believe that uh, to be so. It's just a matter of getting here from there. But we do have all these pesky flying things, these UFOs that are being reported uh, throughout the world and certainly in Canada as well. And uh, you know, it's very tempting to think that uh, some of the ones that are unexplained might be somebody visiting us from out there.
0: Does the fact that the Pentagon says those camera images—they're actually making them public, or they've made them public—and which they didn't do for a long time—we know about uh, Glo- um, Apollo astronauts saying that they got some footage of something they didn't know what it was, and when they got back to Earth with the cameras and the film, the film disappeared. Does the does the whole debate, the whole question, the, the whole discussion change with the Pentagon saying, yep, yeah, that's real?
2: Well, it does and it doesn't, in the sense that uh, the Pentagon is admitting that it's had a project uh, looking at what's being reported as UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs, I suppose, is the terminology these days. Um, and they've had that for some time, and the story is that, uh, according to a request to the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, they're going to be issuing a report in June, so uh, not that long from now, describing what it is that uh, uh, is being reported officially by uh, Navy pilots, Air Force pilots, and, and uh, other personnel. And it's going to be interesting to see what gets released, if anything, because uh, I I'm, I'm have to admit I'm skeptical and a little dubious that we'll get anything interesting at all. Um, there's going to be some redactions in there. Uh, and maybe it'll even be delayed. So, but it'll be interesting to see what happens exactly, because we do have reports now, as you mentioned, the videos, we have photos. Uh, and the, the Pentagon is actually being very cagey. They're, they're not saying that the, what's being seen in, in these videos and photos uh, is necessarily unidentified. They're saying these were uh, obtained during its study of unidentified flying objects. So, uh, you know, in fact, the, the, this pyramid-shaped thing that everybody has probably seen now uh, well, I even had a fellow from New Brunswick uh, uh, post a, a video of something very, very similar because the, the triangular, it's not really a pyramid because it's a 2 dimensions, but it's a, a triangular shape that is actually an artifact of the imaging process. In fact, all the other stars turned out to be pyramid-shaped as well when you zoomed in on them. So, you know, there's, they, we're really puzzled as to what's going on, and hopefully the Pentagon will clear some of this up.
0: What do you think it is?
2: Well, I think there's no question. There's some interesting reports. I mean, in addition to the videos people have seen, there are eyewitness reports by Navy pilots and and, uh, other uh, military personnel. And you know, one has to say that you know, a Navy pilot with, let's say, ten thousand hours of flying, uh, says that what he saw wasn't an airplane or or a drone or anything. You have to give some credence to that. And you know, it's not just Americans. I mean, we have. Uh, hundreds upon hundreds of cases here in Canada of pilots reporting UFOs through official channels through Transport Canada uh, through uh, National Defense and so forth and I've had a chance to look through many of these reports and you know a lot of them uh, just leave you scratching your head.
0: Yeah, more to come it uh, probably as close to the truth as we're going to get today, but I was reading a piece written by uh, Michael Kaplan and Stephen Greenstreet. I don't know who they are, and I can't find uh, the publication that it came from, but I wanted to accredit them. They said that they uh, have these aircraft or these craft, whatever they are, 60 miles, covering 60 miles in five seconds, which works out to 43,200 miles per hour. That's pretty fast.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, if if so, I mean, the, there's no question that, Um, that's what uh, you can see visually, but we do know that a lot of these pilots are flying uh, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 miles away, and this is their best judgment of things zipping around through the sky. Um, it, It would be nice if we had, you know, a little more verifiable instrumentation. I would have to say... Where's the radar return that matches those observations and okay. the videos and, and so forth? I, I, I need more information, but it, it, it's no question. It's, it's confounding.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.